pumped, right? Jesus, I love you. I love you. I love you. Absolutely amazing. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for sending your son. Hey, man, it's great to be back here with you this morning, church. Um, I love Sundays. Sundays are my fun days. Um, yes, because not because it's just Sunday, because I get to hang out with about 500 people who matter the most to me, and that is you. And we get to come and we praise our awesome God and worship him and hear about life changed through his son, Jesus Christ. Hey, if you're a guest with us this morning, you're new with us, welcome. Welcome. You just experienced an awesome time of worshiping our awesome God. We, we hope that you just uh, know how much God loves you. Um, gang, open your Bibles, if you would, to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We're going to get into it this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, we're starting at verse 4 this morning. We're going to be jumping into a new series, a latest series called Making Change. Now, for the next three weeks, we'll be walking through one of the biggest problems in the world that people have and that they don't want to talk about, and that's our finances. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Aren't you glad you showed up this morning? <laughs> All right? We're going to be walking through this conversation we, because we, we're talking about our finances. One of the biggest struggles we have in life, especially in our own country, but it's something we don't like to talk about because talking about our finances makes us very uncomfortable. Right? We, we see as our finances being very private. It's all about what we want to do and how we take care of our things in our own home. But as I dig into God's word, I see something a little bit different. You know, some of you, again, you're wondering why you even came this morning. Because like I, I got up for all this. This is absolutely going to be wonderful. Uh, if you were new here this morning and you're like, I knew it. I finally showed up to check out this vertical church. And, I, and my, all I've been saying all my life has come true. The church just wants my money. Right? That's what you're thinking. You, when I say we're going to talk about your finances, the, the phrase is like, what's in your wallet comes to mind? Or credit cards is accepted. You know, you go through all this stuff because you're just like, I don't want to talk about my finances. I don't want to talk about my possessions. Before you tune me out, please hear me out. Before you check out for this series, let me just challenge each and every one of you, even if you're watching online or listening online, to, to step into this series. Because I believe what this series can do in your life would be bring a support of radical change for you. Radical change for your life. And let me just share with you, the impact won't be just for your life. The impact will also impact your family as a whole. And if you're a parent in this room and you have kids, it will also set the direction for them in the future. It's that kind of series. If you're a teen in this room, listen up, right? It's coming. You're growing up and someday you're going to be adults. If you are a graduating senior or you're stepping into the real world, adulting is tough, okay? Let me just throw that out there. Adulting is tough. But I believe if you pay attention in this series, as you walk out of here and step into the real world, you will not only have less pain, you'll have a better future. That's what I believe about this series. If you are a married couple in this room, this is for you. Because one of the greatest arguments in a home is finances. We don't know what to do. You spend all the money. You don't, you don't give me what you, it's all mine. It's all yours. It's separate. We don't understand this thing about money. And then one of the biggest arguments in marriage is outside of raising kids. <laughs> just a reality out there. Is money. It's one of the greatest struggles we face in our country is dealing with our finances and our possessions. 
Even if you're in this room and you're watching or listening online and you have a zero relationship with Jesus, right? You're just here because you, you showed up, some friend invited you, you just came to hang out one morning to find out what this whole thing about God is all about. If you take God's word, you open this book and live by his principles when it comes to wealth and finances and for life, your life will be radically changed in a better way. And I guarantee as you step into this book and you read and find about who God is, he's going to be calling you to himself, right? So move forward in a positive direction. But see, here's the thing. Making change is far more than our dollars. Making change is far more than our dollars. It's about aligning our lives, our hearts, our minds, our perspectives, our understanding of wealth and possession to God's. Taking everything that we think about, everything that we think we know about, everything that we've lived through in our past experiences, and coming to understand we're going to line it back to what God says. That you and I don't live like economic atheists. That we say, God, I believe in you and I trust in you and you have everything, but when it comes to what's in my wallet, what's in my bank account, what's in my home and what I have, what I own, man, I'm going to take care of that. Don't step into that world. That's an economic atheist. That we start learning to trust God with our everything. If we can trust him with our eternal souls, we can trust him with what we have right now. See, the problem we have is that you and I are being bombarded by the world. We are being bombarded by the world and what society is telling us. And there's this huge lie that's going on right there. And this is a lie. The best life consists in wealth and abundance of possessions. That's what our country is selling you right now, every single day. It's in your face. The best life consists in wealth, having a ton of wealth and abundance of possessions. It's in our ears coming at us from multiple directions. Some of us were raised with that idea from our parents or grandparents. I can remember back when Riley was a kid, um, on Saturday mornings, he'd get up and, they'd get up and go down and watch cartoons. Is Saturday cartoons still a thing? Is it really? Okay, so maybe some of us like me, when we grew up, Saturday cartoons was a thing, right? So Riley would get up, and he'd go down, and he'd watch cartoons. We'd let him dig big, dig, kick back on a Saturday morning and watch cartoons. But back then, streaming everything wasn't a, wasn't a thing, right? It wasn't like right away, your way, right away, like Burger King. Uh, you had to wait, and you had to watch TV, and you also had to watch commercials, right? <laughs> Thank the Lord for not watching commercials. Um, so you watch commercials, and then Saturday mornings, they had those things called infomercials. Are you guys familiar with that? You know what an infomercial is? It's an extended commercial to sell a product. And so Riley would be watching these cartoons and digging into them like, oh, these, I love these cartoons, but also would sit there and watch those commercials and infomercials. And he just, just as intently watching Tom and Jerry, he'd be watching something like the Floby or something like that, right? And he'd be sitting there watching it. And then he'd get up and come to Steph and I. We're out in the kitchen having our coffee, just waking up. And mom, dad, you need to buy this. Buy what? I don't know what it is. But whatever this thing was on TV, he just spent 15 minutes watching. He came out and told us, like, okay, you need this. It's going to make our lives better. 
that's going to make our lives easier. You don't understand. And then you sit there and go in detail about everything he just watched. Come on. A little boy watching a cat chase a mouse. Now tells us we need the, like the, the gidzu knife or something. You need it. You have to have it. We have to have it. That's the message of our country. See, we become a supersized nation, haven't we? We're everything. Why stop at one when two or three or four are better? Why stop at 16 ounces when 32 or 64 ounce drink is legit? Why stop at two burger patties when you can now throw four on top plus bacon? <laughs> Everything's better with bacon. We supersize our homes. We supersize our recliners. Some of us need that. <laughs> Everything is bigger because bigger is better and more is better. Do you know there are people right now in third world countries who are living in one room huts and they look to America and they ask a very, very good question. Why do Americans build houses for their cars? Oh, what if less was more? What if less was more? See, a few weeks ago, I threw a question out there on social media asking you, the church, and I love how I just kind of reel you stuff into the stuff like, gotcha. <laughs> I asked you, if you had three months to live, what would you do with the time that you had left? What would be the most important things for you to do? What would be the most important things for you to have? And imagine this church. No one said, I need that second home. No one said, I need to put the addition on. No one said, I need the sports car. No one said, I need the iPhone 13 because it's the best iPhone ever made. No one. No one said, I need the 90-inch television. Hmm, you should have. No one. You know what you said? You said, if I have three months to live, man, I want to spend it with family. I want to spend that time with family. And I want to tell everybody I know about Jesus. I want to make sure my family is saved. I want to read, tell my kids about Jesus. I want to tell my grandparents about Jesus. I want to tell my neighbors about Jesus. Over and over, you're saying, I want to spend time with the family. Some of you said you would travel, but you said you want to travel with your family. And I want to tell others about Jesus. No one said anything about physical possessions or having a big bank account where you can make it rain. See, when we define what matters most, we find out that much of our lives that we're chasing, spent pursuing in life really doesn't make the true bucket list. I wonder why. I wonder why have we been fooled into thinking that what we don't have is what matters. Because that's what our country's telling you right now. What you don't have is what matters most. 
See, this morning we're going to step into Ecclesiastes, but Ecclesiastes, talking to a guy named Solomon. Solomon was a king over Israel. He was God's people's king. And as we dig in here, scripture says that Solomon was one of the wisest men who ever lived. And what he says about more, less is more, is rather interesting. Look at verse 4 of chapter 4. It says, And I saw that all the toil and all achievements spring from one person's envy of another. This, too, is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Let's just stop right there. Solomon is clearly stating that having more is not the best life. He says, listen, you can't be like a fool and cross your hands and do nothing but the toil to have all this other stuff that you're going after in life only brings drudgery in life. A handful is plenty. Having more, two handfuls, only brings problems. Now, before you discount this and reject what Solomon is saying, I think we need to have an understanding of who Solomon is. See, this guy, no one knows more about having more than King Solomon. See, he tried and had more pleasure than life than anybody I've ever known. He, has more, he had more wine. He had more women, more food. He had more money that could buy anything that he ever wanted. He had so much money, billions and billions in gold. He had more stuff. He had huge working projects. He once built a stone, a stone stable for 4,000 horses. He was famous. He was well-known. Some people looked up to him. Some people idolized him. Queen Sheba came to him just to sit under him, to listen to him, because he was that wise. He knew full well what more was. And he's telling you and I, less is best. So what does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? What does it mean for us? A part of making change in our lives. We're saying that less is more. How do we practically live this out? Well, the first step is simple. Cut back. Cut back. Less is more. We put that in our lives. We cut back means we simply spend less. We spend less. See, the hardship that we face is that we've grown up in a world that fosters that keeping up with the Joneses is a true thing. That when it comes to our wealth and when it comes to our possession, when it comes to our finances, more is better. And this idea that's been permeating through the American dream has infected our minds and infected our hearts. And we look around and see how people are living in the world around us and we feel as if we got to live just like them. Look back at verse 4. He says, I saw that all the toil and all the achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Much of the toil in our lives is birthed from our envy what other people have. And we look at other people have and we want it for ourselves. And Psalm is saying this is meaningless. It's chasing after the wind. 
just let's stick to pack for a second. When I read phrases like this in the scripture, when I read phrases like chasing after the wind, it makes me sit back and think. What does it mean to chase after the wind? I don't know about you, but I don't go home and I don't run around like, there it is. Chase after wind, come on. And if you do do that, please do that in your backyard with an eight foot privacy fence around it and tell no one you come to vertical church, all right? Chasing after the wind. All right, I've done it a few times. I'm just throwing it out there. See, I don't think chasing after the wind is something that we can truly grasp or appreciate. So I want to take a minute and bring forward an illustration to show you what I believe it means. See, I brought a couple friends with me this morning. Thank you from some of the church who let me use them. Chasing after the wind. Who here remembers chasing after bubbles in our, in our lives, right? We were kids. Some of you? Some of you, that's it? All right. I have a couple of volunteers. Why don't you step up and help me out? I want to bring you back to what it feels like to be a kid again. Come on. Just look around. It's not working? Here, I'll give you this one. Here, you take this one. Just all I have to do is hold it. Come on. Chasing after wind. We're, we're chasing bubbles. You don't, don't seem like you're happy to chase bubbles. None of you? Chasing after bubbles? What do you think, sweetie? You want some bubbles? Now that we're back to our six-year-old selves, what happens when we chase after bubbles? We're running all over the place. We're like, oh, right? And you're going back and forth, and you're, you're doing, you have no path in life. You're just like, I'm so happy they're there, they're there. And what happens? What happens when you're one of those amazing people who could actually catch one? You're like, And a few seconds later, oh. that's what King Solomon says. It's like chasing after the wind. You're chasing after stuff that won't last. You're going to end up with nothing. All your toil, you end up with, it's meaningless. I mean, you're going to have stuff, right? You're going to have stuff, a whole backyard of stuff, a whole bunch of debt up to your eyeballs, a whole bunch of frustration, a bunch of arguments, but you're going to have almost nothing of eternal value because you chased after the wind. You toiled. You went after bubbles. Bubbles. 
when we work harder and longer just to spend more and to have what other people have, it's meaningless. Less is more. Stop chasing after the bubbles. Look back and look at verse 7. He kind of goes on and explains us what this looks like. He gives us an illustration. He says, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was, man, there was a man all alone. He had neither a son or brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom I am toiling, he said. Why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Stop right there. His eyes were not content with his wealth. Let me just throw this out there. Everything that we buy, almost everything we buy is eye candy, friends. It's eye candy. We want the truck. We want the TV. We want the boat. We want the car. We want the house. We want the clothes. We want the shoes. Why? Because possibly we're not content with what we've been given. My heart is not content. We want more. But maybe it's time to start cutting back. Maybe it's time to pull back and put a break on the spending paths in our lives and just truly see if what we're chasing after is it what we need or is it what we want. Are we chasing after bubbles? Are we chasing after the wind? Are we buying into what the society is telling us? Now, I can't make this up. I just talked to two pastors last week the pastors of the Hills Church down in Evansville. I sat down and had breakfast with them and they were telling me about a man that they're ministering to right now. He was a guy who wanted a family. He's like, man, I really wanted a family in life. And I started working at Toyota and he got a job at Toyota and he put his head down and 30 years later, he put his head back up and he had no one in his life. He was all alone. This is a true story. He toiled and toiled and toiled and he ends up right now, they're working with him and walking through him through this. He is very angry. He's very frustrated with his life and with God because he put his head down and thought, that's what I need to do. I just need to work hard, work hard, work hard. Chase after whatever people ha other people have. Now I get it. This may be so much easier said than done. You know, we can say that we're going to cut back. We're not going to spend all this money. We're not going to go after the bubbles. We're not going to chase after the wind, right? And we're going to cut back. But unless we have an actual, put a plan in place to do just that, let me share with you, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. That's why we offer as a church Financial Peace University. Because we believe in the principles they walk you through how to handle money God's way. Financial freedom. If we don't have a spending plan, if we don't have guardrails on our capital, we can't recognize where to stop. And we'll continue to chase and chase and chase. So if Financial Peace University is going on right now. Let me just share with you an idea, a simple plan that, that we stepped into our lives years ago. It's called the 10-10-80 life. The 10-10-80 life. And what we're doing is simply taking our income, what we're bringing into our home, and breaking it down to three different categories. 
Each section is a percentage of your income. And you break it down. And there's greater plans in this. Financial Peace University shows a whole bunch more. But this is a very simple plan how you can start. The first, the first 10 is 10% is your income is giving back to God. 10% giving back to God. Now I get it. This is a faith moment in life for some of us in this room. And we're actually going to walk through this conversation later on in the series. But sometimes we forget that everything that we have belongs to God. That everything how we live is under the umbrella of God's authority. And that includes our finances. And God says in our worship and following and worship, this is not about singing praises like we just did. It's not about learning like we're doing now. Part of our worship includes giving back to him. If everything is his, and he says, okay, I'm just asking for a portion back. I'm asking you to trust me and give a portion back. Why? So his established ministry can continue to live out its mission of making more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. That's the first 10%. The second 10% is savings. You need to have saving, a savings account. Build it up. It's a plan for storing up for the future when there may be problems. Proverbs has several verses that talk about a stinking ant. Right? I see an ant, I step on them, they're dead. But it walks through this idea that an ant has some wisdom and it stores up for its future. We're God's greatest creation. Why aren't we found the simplicity of an ant? Store up for the future. Because when we build a savings account, it brings security and peace. The tranquility that Solomon is talking about. And the last, the last 80% is what you live off. That's your food, your monthly bills, your rent, your mortgage, your family outings, your clothes, etc. I shared that we use, we've used this plan in our lives for years and has changed so much about what we do with what we have been given because everything I have belongs to him. This was hard, but we've seen so much fruit in life simply living by this plan, a 10, 10, 80 life. It's not gonna be easy. But if you want to start living in financial freedom, you want to start making some change, having a simple plan could change so much in your life. So maybe this is something you talk about in your small groups this week. When you get together your small groups, talk about what this looks like in life. What does it mean to cut back? Maybe share some of your stories. If you've done this in your life, you've applied this in your life, what it looks like in your life. Stop chasing after bubbles together. Make a commitment. All right, so we're going to cut back, and then we're going to clear out. The second part is we're going to clear out. Now, this may be harder for some in this room than others. Stopping spending, yeah, I can work on that, but cutting and getting rid of stuff, man, don't mess with my stuff. Right? Come on. If we're honest, it's a really amazing how much stuff we truly have. Our closets are full. Our attics are full. Our garages are full. Here's an interesting study. 57% of houses that have two-car garages can only put one car in it. Amen. Guess why? Stuff. 
25% of them can't put a single car in it. Guess why? Stuff. We have so much stuff. And here's what happened. We have no more room in a house. Our garage is full. Man, we finally get smart. We say, we're going to get rid of all this stuff. No. We go get storage. We go rent storage. You think I'm joking? I read this, <laughs> I read this yesterday. The self-storage industry in, in, in the world is a $38 billion industry. Come on. The church has set some storage units out there. $38 billion. House, this is for households, not companies, account for 80% of that $38 billion. So that means average Joe Americans like you and I, we spend over 30 billion, 30 billion, 400,000 dollars a year on storing our stuff. What? <laughs> what is marketed as affordable and convenience comes at a high cost. And what it does is masks the American appetite for stuff. It is estimated that 90% of the global storage facilities are right here in the great U.S. of A. 90%. We rent storage for stuff that we never use. That's crazy. I never knew I had this, but I had to have it. And I can never get rid of it. Look back at verse 6. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. When our hands are full, we are limited what we can do. When our hands are full, it's hard to reach out and help someone else. When our hands are full, it's hard for us to have a productive life because we have so much stuff. I have never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You can't take it with you. Think about it. Right now in your home, what is taken with space? Have all this stuff that you do not use or do not need. See, moving is a great equalizer of all this. Every time you move, you recognize how much stuff you actually have and you don't want to move it. Right now, half the Clark's life is in a storage unit. I'm admitting that I'm part of this $38 billion. Half of our life is in storage unit. And by the way, here's a picture of this. Let me just show you. There it is. Just last week, Steph and I went and pulled everything out of our storage unit. And we're like, oh no. And we, we reorganized all that crazy and put it half of it, more than half of it back in. So by the way, if you see something, you can make an offer. I think right there in the center, right in the middle of the page, that is a hot dog roaster. All right? Just make us an offer. Before you do, though, make sure it's in your spending plan, okay? Oh, my word. What's in our closets? Christy, I see you looking intently at what we have. We'll talk after service. What's in our dressers? We have totes. 
that are labeled winter, spring, summer, fall. Because we have all these clothes. And to be completely transparent here, like I'm not here already. The other, a couple weeks ago, I asked Stephanie when I was putting this together, I said, hey, would you do me a favor? Would you count how many t-shirts I own? How many t-shirts I have? And I got this look on the emoji when she sent it back. See, when Steph and I met almost 25 years ago, all I wore were t-shirts and I had jeans with holes in them. Now, I guess that's a trend with, right now. I don't, so I guess I would have fit back in 25 years ago. So she went and counted and she sent me a text and we, we talked about it afterwards. I have 42 t-shirts. All colors. Let me tell you, all these vertical shirts are not helping a bit. She realized the only thing she had changed in me in the last 25 years is I don't have holes in my jeans. One of us was stoked, the other one was rubbing their head. I'll let you figure out who. I make a lot of fun about myself and about this kind of stuff. But just think about the stuff that you have is taking up room, tools, gun collections, decorations, toys, crafts. See, we need to have less of what doesn't matter so we can experience more of what does. And that is the freedom from the need. And that's freedom from greed. And embracing the tranquility that God has for every single one of us, the peace that will bring into your life. We cut back, get into a spending plan, and start clearing out the stuff that doesn't matter. Because maybe, just maybe, the richest people in the world are not those who have the most, but those who need the least. Right? The richest people in the world are not those who have the most, but need the least. So what needs to go? How do you cut back? And if you have to get something, maybe it's time to get rid of something to take its place, right? Very, very practical. Very, very simple. That's what God's word does. He lays it out. So this in your small groups this week, maybe it's time to have one of those uncomfortable conversations. Work with your, your group. Set some goals in place. And if you want to get rid of some stuff, maybe have a small group yard sale. You can pull that off. Work it out. That sounded like a, a ship. That's my cue to wrap it up. Guys, I understand this topic is very, very uncomfortable to walk through. But it's so real in our lives. You can choose to be like the world and toil and chase after bubbles. Or you can simply open this book and have a conversation with one who loves you the most and has the best life ahead of you in mind. We don't have to have the most stuff. We don't have to have the biggest bankroll. We just have to have the heart and mind of Christ to trust that everything we have is his and live with abundant joy because of it. Now, not everybody's going to be rich. 
I mean, I am because that's my name. But it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean he doesn't have a plan for you. He just wants you to honor him with what he has given you. That simple. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for allowing us to have some fun this morning and have some laughs. And a very difficult topic to talk about in our, na- in our nation. Because of what we've been told, what we've been sold, the mindset of our country. God, I pray as a church that we'll continue to press into you. That we'll set some of this stuff aside, what the world is trying to sell us. And we'll embrace what you're saying in your word. Less is more is not a thing in our country. But it's truly a thing with you. Trusting you with everything we have. Because everything we have belongs to you. Honoring you with how we spend. Put a spending plan in place. Giving back to you. Preparing for the future. And living the life you've given us. That our life doesn't become about abundance. Unless it's abundance of you. You in our lives. You every day. All through a relationship through your son, Jesus Christ. Right now, I'm going to ask the prayer team to come forward. And if you have something going on in your world right now, and I ask you to come forward. You got a frustration that you can't get past, I ask you to come forward. If you want to just sing praises to someone this morning, what God's doing in your life, I ask you to come forward. We want to pray with you. We want to pray over you. We want to encourage your heart. Prayer is powerful and effective. And maybe this morning you're struggling just with a conversation about finances. Come forward. We want to pray with you. We want to encourage you. We want to help you take the next right step at following God. Whatever it may be. God, I pray as we step through this and through this series that we will not push back, that we'll actually lean in and listen because we believe wholeheartedly what you want to do in our lives. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. God bless, church. Go have a great week. And stop chasing after bubbles.